Well, I'm not sure if you've heard of WPATH, but you should have. WPATH stands for the World Professional Law Association for Transgender Health. And the guidelines are considered the gold standard for the field of uh, care for those diagnosed with gender dysphoria. I use that word care loosely. They're widely used in hospitals and clinics across the US, Canada and the UK and are highly influential to some major medical groups. But are they the gold standard? Well, definitely not. Let's check it out. So according to a recent report by Daily Wire, WPATH has released its much-anticipated new guidelines, Standards of Care 8th Edition, and one aspect noticeably different from previous editions is that the explicitly stated minimal age recommendations for minors to obtain puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries have been removed. The new guidance also suggests that if parents do not affirm their child's newly chosen identity, the state may be unable to intervene in order to assist with the child's transition. And Chapter 6 on Adolescence in the new guidelines suggests that cross-sex hormones may be administered to children as young as 14. So for a girl who wants to transition to male, that would be lifelong testosterone. For a male who wants to be female, it involves lifelong estrogen. And it says this, chest masculinization surgery, which of course is otherwise known as a double mastectomy, which is a removal of healthy breasts, can be considered in minors when clinically and developmentally appropriate as determined by a multidisciplinary team experienced in adolescence and gender development. Although no precise age is indicated, most paediatric clinics will perform double mastectomy surgeries on as young as 15-year-olds. The guidelines also state that vaginoplasties, the creation of a pseudo-vagina using existing genital tissue, indicates they may be obtained as a minor. They say, quote, while the sample sizes are small, these studies suggest there may be a benefit for some adolescents having these procedures performed before the age of 18. And just to reinforce that, WPATH also indicates that vaginoplasty is often performed on minors. They cite a 2017 study of 20 WPATH-affiliated surgeons in the US, and they reported slightly more than half had performed vaginoplasty in minors. Now, the only genital surgery it seems that WPATH is comfortable setting an age recommendation for is phalloplasty, which creates a penis-like phallus from skin grafts taken elsewhere on the body. And they say this, given the complexity of phalloplasty and current high rates of complications, in comparison to other gender-affirming surgical treatments, it is not recommended this surgery be considered in youth under 18 at this time. But then again, these are only recommendations. And actually, since the furor, as a result of the removal of age restrictions, WPATH tried to argue that it was so doctors wouldn't um, face multi-practice lawsuits for or malpractice lawsuits for breaking guidelines. So, hey, let's get rid of the guidelines. That problem is easy solved. Uh, WPATH's new guidelines also suggest that parental consent for minors to obtain medical treatments are recommended but not required, and that state powers may intervene if a parent does not affirm their child's chosen identity. Check this. It says, we recommend when gender-affirming medical or surgical treatments are indicated for adolescents, healthcare professionals working with transgender and gender-diverse adolescents involve parents, guardians, in the assessment and treatment process unless their involvement is determined to be harmful to the adolescents uh, or not feasible. And then it says, parents, caregivers may be too rejecting 
of their adolescent child and their child's gender needs to be part of the clinical evaluation process. In these situations, youth may require the engagement of larger systems of advocacy and support to move forward with the necessary support and care. Now, do you see what it's uh, saying there? Basically, it's saying we want parental consent, but if we don't get it, if they don't affirm transgender status of, our, of young people, then we will remove the parents uh, from the process. But the summary criteria for adolescents continues without minimal age recommendations, and instead, WPAR suggests that both puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones may be administered when a child reaches what they call Tanner Stage 2, which is meaning at the first signs of puberty. So for girls, puberty begins between 9 and 11, and for boys around age 11. Now, there has been pushback on how radical WPATH is, and the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, an international group of more than 100 clinicians and researchers, responded to the science and wrote a critique citing the potential for harm due to WPATH's lack of methodological rigor and very low quality evidence. Now, WPATH says its guidelines are written based on available evidence, but they cite flawed, cherry-picked studies to support their conclusions. Uh, and uh, the current description of the literature betrays a strong bias towards studies promoting social and medical transition, according to uh, this breakaway group. Carl Hennigan, who's the editor-in-chief of the British Medical Journal and Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine from the University of Oxford, Oxford, performed a review of literature for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones in kids and adolescents, and he concluded the current evidence base does not support informed decision-making and safe practice in children. Now, according to a report in WebMD, which is one of the top healthcare websites. Dr. Julia Mason is a pediatrician based in Oregon with a special interest in children and adolescents experiencing gender dysphoria. And she says that WPATH remains captured by activists. Mason is a clinical advisor to the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, the breakaway group. And she says, I would say they didn't have a panel of experts. They largely had a panel of activists with a few experts. Uh, there is no mention, for example, of evidence reviews from England's National Institute for Health and Care Excellence on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones from earlier this year, which expressed caution. And much of the evidence quoted in the WPATH guidelines comes from the well-known and oft-quoted Dutch study of 2011, in which the children were much younger at the time of their gender dysphoria. And Mason also stresses that the latest guidelines from WPATH don't address the most urgent issue in transgender medicine today mainly because it doesn't address rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, and this is the dilemma of the 21st century, Mason says. It's new, rapid onset gender dysphoria. It refers to the surge in adolescents expressing a desire to transition from their birth sex after little or no apparent previous discomfort around their sex. So a lot of peer pressure, a lot of social media pressure. And Mason also says there's little mention about detransitioning in the guidelines. There's no mention of desistance, which is when individuals naturally resolve their dysphoria around their birth sex as they grow older. And in fact, the most recent published data seen relates to a study from March 2021, last year, that showed nearly 88% of boys who struggled with gender identity in childhood chose not to transition. And it said, quote, most children with gender dysphoria will desist and lose their concept of themselves as being the opposite gender. This is the safest path for a child 
Desistance. Transition can turn a healthy young person into a lifelong medical patient and has a significant health risk. And she stresses that transition has not been shown to decrease the probability of suicide or attempts at suicide, despite myriad claims saying otherwise. Now, there's two reasons WPATH should be front and center of your consciousness as Kiwis. The president-elect of WPATH is none other than Dr. Marcy Bowers, a surgeon who specializes in genital surgeries for transgender patients and identifies as a transgender woman. Uh, and she was featured in the Daily Wire documentary, What is a Woman?, which you should watch. And she admitted to performing vaginoplasty surgeries on minors as young as 16. And uh, she announced her appointment as the first trans feminine person to be elected president of WPATH in its 43-year history. So she is the new boss of WPATH. Here's part of that discussion in the documentary, which quickly tells you just how strange WPATH is. First of all, thanks for talking to us. My pleasure. So you're a world-renowned gynecologist and surgeon. You're also a transgender woman. Can you tell me a little bit about... Well, I mean, I, I identify as a woman, but... You're a woman, right. I'm a woman with... I mean, that's my life, day-to-day, mm -hmm. but I have a transgender history. Hmm. So one, one thing on your website, it says uh, gender-affirm, GAV, gender-affirming vaginoplasty. Mm -hmm. What is that exactly? A vaginoplasty is creation of, of female, uh, a female vagina and vulva. We're altering the physical characteristics of the individual to, to fit better with a gender identity that, that is female. This is all constructed from the penis? Yes, that's right. The surgeries are quite refined in the sense that they really, not only do they look like female anatomy, but they also function that way, for the most part. I mean, certainly it's a bit of a Faustian bargain. You know, it's not perfect. Does anyone ever regret their surgeries? Or, well, we know they do, but how often do people regret their surgeries? Well, actually, we don't know that they do. There are legitimate detransitioners, and there are people who truly feel that in their journey, they may have made a mistake. Now, fortunately, this is a really, really uncommon phenomenon. I don't know if you've heard. Well, that's not true, is it? It's not really, really uncommon. In fact, it's increasing detransitioners. Uh, but you know, what that showed you was the ideology coming from the top of WPATH. That is the new head of WPATH. But the second thing you need to be aware of is that WPATH has significant influence in New Zealand. And this is because transgender research and policy comes out of the University of Waikato's trans health research. And they do these surveys, which are fortunately very weak. They're, unfortunately, the unit is driven by activists and an agenda rather than science and independent research. And in fact, it's now in conflict with the science. To give you an idea of the activists, the director is a trans woman who just also happens to be on the executive committee of WPATH, small world. Huh? Another associate investigator is Green MP Elizabeth Kerry Kerry. Say no more. Now, we've actually written in detail on the weakness and flaws of the Counting Ourselves survey that the unit does. Uh, and, you know, check out that um, website, check out that uh, coverage that we've given to it because you'll soon see how weak the research is. But the unit is also at odds with the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists who recently released a position statement on gender dysphoria and in it they say, 
Comprehensive assessment is crucial. Assessment and treatment should be evidence-informed, fully explore the patient's gender identity, the context within which it has arisen, other features of mental illness, and a thorough assessment of personal and family history. Now, interestingly, there is no mention of the statement on the Counting Ourselves website. The unit is also at odds with medical professionals and groups around the world who are sounding growing concern around the use of puberty blockers to treat young people with gender dysphoria because of the low certainty of benefits and the potential for significant medical harm. Sweden, Finland, Australia, UK. And I read this report from the Canadian uh, Gender Report. It's a group of parents and professionals concerned about the medical transition of children. They had an article two years ago headed bias, not evidence, dominates WPATH transgender standard of care. And they say when looking at the WPATH committee who worked on the current guidelines that have just been released, a cursory examination of the members revealed that every one of the members have significant conflicts of interest. All of them either receive income based on the recommendations in the guidelines, work at clinics or universities who receive funds from advocacy groups, foundations, or pharmaceutical companies who heavily favour a certain treatment paradigm, or have received grants and published papers or research in transgender care. The majority of the members are from the US and six of them have affiliations with the same university, the University of Minnesota Program in Sexuality, which is primarily funded by a transgender advocacy organisation. And at least four committee members are or were editors of transgender research journals. <laughs> Conflict of interest definitely sounds like that. And of course, the New Zealand representative also has a significant conflict of interest. And as we saw earlier, Dr. Marcy Bowers, a prominent transgender surgeon who performs genital surgery, is about to become president of WPATH. Now, this report concludes WPATH is not the typical professional organization that develops clinical practice guidelines, WPATH is a hybrid professional and activist organization where activists have become voting members and have served as president. In fact, it can be argued that WPATH is activist-led rather than evidence-led. Now, look, the reason that this all matters, this is a slightly longer McBlog, but it's important. It's because activists, politicians, academics, they're all pushing an activist agenda overseas and in New Zealand which is ignoring the growing voice of scientists and medical professionals who are calling for some sanity in the trans debate. Whether ideology and harm wins against biology and the protection of our children, well, that depends on whether you and I start speaking up and pushing back. It's time. Oh, just to finish, let me show you just a little bit more of that Matt Walsh doco with the new head of WPATH. Uh, you have now been warned about this group and its ideology. I don't know if you've ever heard of people in the trans-abled community. These are people who are physically able-bodied but feel like they should be disabled or identify as such. Uh, for example, a man who has two arms but feels like he should have one. If a, if a man in this kind of marginalized community was went to the doctor and said, I want to have my arm cut off, do you think that... That doesn't have anything to do with gender identity. Well, it's uh, someone's, someone's self-identity, how someone identifies. That's, sounds, that's someone who has a, um, a, and I'll accept it as a mental diagnosis, a psychiatric condition. I don't even pretend to know what aptomenophilia is all about, but somehow it's the idea that you, you know, you know, you're fascinated or charmed by having a limb or part of a limb missing. Mm. 
Okay, I would say that's, uh, pardon my non-medical language, kooky. You don't see any? You think this is totally irrelevant? Yep. So the biggest, broadest question is, what is a woman? A woman is a, you know, it's a combination of your physical attributes and then what you're showing to the world and the gender clues that you give. And hopefully those match your gender identity. The critics on the other side of this, of, uh, of, this, of this issue. There aren't many, but go ahead. There aren't many who would disagree with what you're saying about? Well, you know, the dinosaurs of the world are certainly out there. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs>